0: Welcome to Front Range, my name is Ernest Smith, I'm the lead pastor and we're so grateful that you guys are here with us, whether you're joining us in person or you're watching online while you're trying to watch the Broncos play the Cowboys. Whatever you're doing, we're grateful to have you. Uh, Man, uh, I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening here at Front Range. Uh, First, next weekend, next Sunday, uh, we do this thing called Next Step with Front Range. Uh, it's an opportunity where you can come and discover what your next step is, whether you've been coming just a, a week or two or whether you've been coming for a few years. If you want to know then how to get more engaged as a church or how to, how to get more plugged in, then join us for Next Step with Front Range. Uh, it's next Sunday night. You can find out more information at our events page or on our app. We'll have childcare, food, all of that stuff for you. It's a great time to be able to uh, connect with other people in our church. Uh, second thing I want to let you know about is our Love and Action campaign that Steve just mentioned. Uh, you can find a little booklet uh, on your chair or a chair near you. Uh, and we said, hey, over the next few weeks, let's try to raise $120,000 that we're going to give away. Uh, and so far, we've been able to raise just over $15,000, which is awesome. Uh, we got a little ways to go. Uh, so we got about a month left to be able to raise the funds. And uh, all these funds, every dime that comes in is going out. And what we've said from the very beginning is this is not uh, equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. Meaning that there are some of us in this room, we could write a check for 120000 right now. Uh, and if we go go over, uh, then we would just be able to bless more, which is awesome. But there's others of us that it would be a struggle to write a, a check for $120. So it's not about equal giving; it's about equal sacrifice. And if we sacrifice uh, equally, then we'll be able to reach this. Uh, where you could see in the booklet all the places that the money will go to: church planners, missionaries, uh, organizations. And one of the things that I want to highlight. As every year for Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, we raise money for baskets, uh, food baskets, to be able to give to, to families in need. If there's a kid on subsidized meal here in our county, which we have a lot of them, uh, and here specifically in Castle Rock, then when they go to Thanksgiving break and Christmas break, they don't get those meals at school anymore. And so we step in as a church. We've been doing this since year one. Uh, we provide uh, food for the, not just the child, but for the family uh, as a whole. And so uh, if you just take the number of families we served last year, if you don't add any more families to that, then it's going to cost us just over $27,000 to be able to provide uh, the food that they need over Thanksgiving and Christmas. So that's part of what uh, Love in Action is going to pay for and to, to take care of families in our, our community. If you want to be a part of packing those boxes, we do that every year as well. It's one of the things my kids love love to do. Uh, we're doing it next Sunday. Uh, you can find out more information on our, on our events page or our app uh, if you want to be a part of packing those boxes and be able to, uh, to help us distribute those to families that are in need. We'd love for your help with that. Uh, Today, we are continuing a series that we've called Relational Vampires. Uh, Man, this series has already been a lot of fun. It's only the second week, but I've heard from so many of you about how impactful it's already been and uh, just kind of the theme of it. Now, what do vampires do? They suck the blood out of you. uh, And what does that mean? They suck the life out of you. Uh, And what do relational vampires do? They're people in your life that suck the life out of you. We all have those people. Last week we talked about controlling people and how do you love controlling people and how do you not become a controlling person. Uh, Next week we're going to look at hypocritical people, so I'm really excited about that one. Uh, And then the last week is critical people. So we all have those people in our lives and unfortunately all of us can become those people. So uh, don't miss a week. Invite a neighbor uh, because I believe God is going to move in powerful ways. Uh, Today we're going to look at needy people. And before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you that you are right here in our midst. God, I thank you that you know each one of us by name. You know what we're going through. You know the struggles and the joys that all of us are experiencing right now. And I pray, Father, that you would speak right to us, right in this moment, God, in the relationships that we have and the things that we're walking through, that, God, your voice would be so clear in our hearts and our minds right now. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people sit. Amen. All right, so needy, I think there's a spiritual principle about needy people. The spiritual principle is this, that in every group, on every team, in every family, in every sorority, in every group of individuals, there is at least one needy person. Now, I'm not talking about a person that's in need, because all of us can be in need at times, right? All of us, at different times of our lives, have a need that someone can step in. But I'm talking about the person that is always in need. That is always needing something. You know that person, you're already thinking about somebody probably. It's the person that when you see coming, you're like, oh man, this conversation is gonna go way longer than I want it to go. You know, it's the person that, that is always a victim. They're a victim of their family, they're a victim of, of society, they're a victim of politics, they're a victim of what? They're always a victim. They're a person that, that they never get enough. And no matter how much you give to them, they can never have enough of what. They're looking for. And it's, this, one's, this one's pretty complicated. You're probably thinking about somebody in your life right now. And as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, this topic is really complicated. It's not as simple as saying that there's needy people and we should love them or not be them or whatever. Because as a follower of Christ, we want to step in. We want to help people. We want to care for people that are in need. Like that's part of how God has wired all of us. And so we should want to do that. But then what happens when you do that and it's not enough? Or, what happens when when you realize, man, maybe you're not the person for that? Maybe you should take a step back and you start to feel guilt and shame because, because you should be doing something. As a follower of Jesus, you should step in in this moment, but you step back and you feel guilt and shame. Or maybe what if when you help them, it's actually hurting them? So, how do we love, engage, and help needy people? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at a story from the Bible. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 18. It's kind of toward the beginning of your Bible. If you don't have one, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, if you need a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Go to our Connections tent. Uh, we have them there. Or you can download the Bible app. Uh, it's a great resource as well. Let me set it up for you. Exodus 18 um, is, a, is about a group of needy people. It was a, a needy family, a needy tribe, a needy nation, the nation uh, is the Israelite nation, and before this point, they were nomads. They were kind of wandering around. Eventually, they settle in Egypt. And when they settle in Egypt, they have power and they have prestige. I mean, they're, they're kind of honored at that time because they helped save the nation and all this stuff. But a few hundred years later, and a few pharaohs later, they find themselves slaves. So they no longer have honor and prestige, they're now slaves. And so God raises up this guy named Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to be the leader. I'm going to use you to set the people free from Egyptian slavery. And so Moses goes before Pharaoh. He says, hey, let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, "Ah, I don't think so. And so they have this kind of battle, and there's these crazy plagues that happen. And God shows up in miraculous ways. And Pharaoh eventually is like, okay, yeah, I need to let you guys go. Eventually, the Israelite people, they cross over the Red Sea. They find themselves in the desert. They're, they've been told by God they're going to go to the promised land. But where they find themselves now is in the middle of the desert. You ever been in that situation in life where you're like looking forward to maybe one day, but right now you find yourself into today? Well, that's where the people are. Man, that, that promised land of milk and honey and all of that, the, the, the prosperity and the success and, and the freedom and all of that. But right now we find ourselves in a desert. And God provides for them every day, but that's about it. That's really about all that they have. There's, there's no hopes and dreams. They're just living in desert. There's no comforts of home. Uh, there's no playground for the kids. There's no B&B cafe to go and eat at. I mean, they really have nothing. All they have is sand and heat every day, all day. Now put yourself in that situation. Put yourself where they are, and you're living in the middle of the desert. There's, there's no amenities. There's no space. The, the Scholars say at this point the Israelite nation was probably around a million people. And so this wasn't just a terrible campground. This was a huge, terrible campground. And so there's no amenities. There's, there's no space. There's no AC. I mean, I would be getting super frustrated if I was living there, and the people, they begin to grumble. They begin to complain. They start complaining about not being in Egypt anymore. That sounds kind of crazy to us. Wait, they're complaining about not being in Egypt? Like, weren't they slaves? Yes, but they feel like where they are now is worse than being a slave. Couldn't you just take us back? Why did you take us out of here? So they start complaining about their situation. They're complaining about each other. They began complaining about God. And Moses being their leader, he's not just their leader, he's their judge. And so the Bible says that, that he would wake up and from sunup to sundown, he would sit outside this tent, And the people would come to him to be judged. So they would come and they would say, hey, Moses, we have this problem. And he would say, okay, here's the consequence. Okay, this person's right. That person's wrong or whatever. And he would judge all their issues, every little issue and huge issue. He would judge every one of them and tell them, here's the consequence. Here's the results. Here's what you need to do or whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden, Jethro, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, he shows up. Now I don't know how good of a relationship you have with your father-in-law, but Moses is probably like, really? You see, at this point, Moses had already sent his wife and his kids back to live with Jethro. And Jethro's like, I'm not, I'm not down for this boomerang generation. I'm not down for my, my grandkids living with me and all that. Some of you all have experienced that. And Jethro was like, no, we're going to have a conversation about this. And so Moses, you know, he sees his father-in-law showing him. He's like, whoa, what's going on here? So he's probably a little skeptical. Jethro just watches. He just kind of sits there and he watches what's happening with Moses. And he watches from sunup to sundown Moses being the judge, Moses having these people, these needy people saying, Hey, resolve this situation. Hey, resolve this fight. Hey, help us with this. And he watches them and he's like, Man, this is not good. He probably sees that Moses is tired, Moses probably looks miserable. He's already given his family to send them back. Why? We don't know. Maybe because he, he can't handle it. Maybe he's so focused on the needs of other people, he can't even take care of his own family. We don't know. But he's watching this happen, and he realizes it's not good. And that's where we pick up with the story. Exodus chapter 18, verse 17 says this. Moses' father-in-law replied, "'What you are doing is not good. "'You and these people who come to you "'will only wear yourselves out. "'The work is too heavy for you. "'You cannot handle it alone.'" Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. So Jethro sees this situation. He's like, man, this isn't good, Moses. You're going to burn out. This is going to be a bad situation. You're probably already looking miserable. This is going to be a bad situation at the end of the day. It's not going to be good for you, and it's not going to be good for the people. They're needy, and you need to do something else. Well, what's that something else? Well, he kind of walks us through three Things to do to love needy people. Three ways that you and I can can engage and love needy people in our lives. First thing is this: when we give, we give strategically. When you give, doesn't say don't give, he says, but when you give, you've got to give strategically. Look at the end of verse 19. It says this: You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. So before Jephthah says this, he's watching Moses, and Moses, what he's doing, he's sitting there, and the people are coming to him. They're saying, hey, here's my situation. Here's our issue. And Moses says, well, let me tell you the, the result. Let me tell you how I, how I judge this. Let me tell you the consequences of your action or, or what you need to do. And that's all he's doing. And Jephthah says, this isn't the way to resolve the issues. This isn't the way to help needy people. If you're going to give to them, Moses, at least give strategically. Because right now, the people are reactive. And Moses, you're reactive to them. You've got to change that. You can't just sit there and tell them what to do differently or, hey, here's the results. Here's the consequences. You've got to change the way that they think. You've got to change what they believe. And so Jethro is saying that, that if, if you don't think differently, you won't believe differently. And if you don't believe differently, you won't live differently. And if you don't live differently, guess what, Moses? Moses. You're going to burn out, and the people will never be transformed. He says, instead of being reactive, you've got to be proactive. You've got to think about how to give these people what they actually need. Uh, we saw this firsthand when we went to Kenya. We started going to Kenya in 2001. In 2005, uh, my wife and I and some others, we started a nonprofit called Bread of Life. And where we reached out to the unreached people groups of Kenya and South Sudan. And some of you, you've been on mission trips with Bread of Life. Some of you sponsor kids there and all of that. So some of you have a, a pretty good gauge of it. But when we went there the first time, especially to this one particular village, man, we realized they had nothing. And the people were were dying of starvation. They were dying from a lack of water. They literally had nothing. And so we stepped in immediately. We said, okay, what do we need to do? We need to raise money. We need to be able to provide food for them, buy goats for them, buy rice, corn, whatever it is. We need to provide it. And then eventually we said we got to provide a well. And so we kept providing all of these things thinking that we were doing the right thing. And in the moment, 100% we were doing the right thing. But then as we step back from it, we begin to see, okay, there's been a lot of people over the years that have tried to help these people. They've dumped a lot of money into this community, and nothing has changed about the way they're living. They're great people. They're incredible people. Some of my best friends live in that community, and yet there are people many times that would just go, will you give us more? We need more. We have this need. We have that need. And so as we step back from that, we began to see that, that us providing water and us providing food, although it was helping them survive, which obviously is a necessity, it wasn't changing anything about the community. So we began to ask the question, how do we get them engaged? How do we change what they think to change how they believe, to change how they live? Because we can't just keep providing money. We can't just keep providing things for them. And so we began to ask, how do we get them engaged in it? So we, we started having them say, hey, if we're going to build a well, we need you guys to be a part of taking care of it and, and paying for some of the upkeep. If we're going to build a clinic to be able to help you and, and give you medical care and all of that, we need you to help build it. We need you to provide money to help build it. We'll also raise a lot of money, but we need you to be a part of We're going to build a school. If we're going to build a church, whatever it is, you have to be engaged. And their mindset began to change. That it wasn't just about what can we get from these people, but how do we change our community? How do we change the lives of others? And as we took an even further step back, we began to say, okay, now what do we need to do to change the direction of this community? So we thought, let's start a school. So we started one school, and that turned into three schools. And now we have a couple hundred kids that many of you are sponsoring And they get meals every day, they get medical care, and they get education. But we started these schools because it said the only way to transform this community is to transform the way they think, the way they believe, and that will transform the way that they live. And so we started that and we knew this was going to be a really long process That it wasn't like, hey, let's do a couple years and these seven-year-olds will begin to run the community. No, it was like, let's start with the five-year-olds, and in 15, 20 years, their community will look vastly different. They'll see that they can be the doctors, that they can be the ones that are building the wells, that they can be the ones that are planting, that they can be the ones that are producing, that they're the ones in charge. They don't have to rely on Westerners anymore. Now, this is a really hard way to give. I mean, honestly, it'd be a whole lot easier if we just said, hey, let's just give them something immediately let's just give them some money let's just give them whatever it is that's easier it's easier to give immediately because number one it makes us feel good it makes us feel good about ourselves when we can immediately just step into a need and go oh okay I can give this it makes us feel good and it makes that person feel like they got what they needed but it may not be what helps in the end Sure, sometimes you have, to, you have to step in. When we, when we provided the, the, the well and the food and all of that, and they needed that immediately, immediately or they weren't going to survive. But then we had to begin to ask questions. And the question is this. If you want to help somebody, you want to give strategically, you have to ask, what does this person genuinely need? What does this person genuinely need? Not what's the immediate fix, not what do they want, not what can I give, but what do they genuinely need? When you ask that question, the, the answer might be this person genuinely needs professional counseling. Maybe instead of just meeting with a pastor, they need to go to somebody who you know has, has a degree in professional counseling. They can help with this thing. Maybe that's what they genuinely need. Maybe they genuinely need a marriage retreat. Maybe that just getting away and kind of getting together and, and focused time, maybe that's what they need. Or maybe they need a book or a podcast or, or maybe they need budgeting help. I mean, I was talking to a guy after last service and we were just talking about this idea. Like, I don't know about you, but I have, I have two master's degrees and a doctorate and I never took a class on budgeting. No one ever taught me how to like steward my money well. And so if, if that's true, then how many other people are in the same boat as me? We've never taken a class. So we can say, well, look at this person. They're poorly using their money, but but then they've never been taught. So maybe that's what they need. They need a class. Maybe they need a community group. Maybe they need someone else in their life other than me. Maybe I need to step away from their life. When you ask the question, what do they genuinely need? Ask them that and then ask God, God, what does this person genuinely need? If you want to give strategically, you have to ask that question. Because you can give immediately, and sometimes that's what needs to happen in the moment. But if you want to create life change, then you have to ask, how can I give strategically? What does this person genuinely need? Now go back to the story of Moses. you got Jethro, and he's sitting there watching. He says, hey, you gotta, if you're going to give, you've you got to give strategically. Then the second thing he says is that when we serve, you've got to serve wisely. When we serve we serve wisely. Look at verse 21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. So he says you got to divide up the work. Like you can't do it all on your own. Moses. You have to so. Choose people that, that can lead at different levels. And when they lead at different levels, then allow them to lead. Allow them to carry the burden with you. Only the difficult issues need to come to you. Let everything else go. Now, we kind of understand this principle that, that we can only carry so much in life. In fact, I'm going to kind of give you a real life demonstration. I, I need a volunteer. Uh, Matt, come on, buddy. Come on. Yep, I need you. Yep, I know. Everybody loves to volunteer or be voluntold for something. Give it up for Matt. Come on. <laughs> Mr. Chambliss, come on up here. All right, so Matt, come stand over on this side. So I'm going to give you kind of a real-life example of how we all know that we have limits, right, and we can't carry everything on our own. The best way to, to prove this is with groceries. Now, if you're a guy, you'd be lying to me and to the Lord and to yourself if you said that every time you got groceries, you weren't trying to carry all of it in yourself, right? Because we don't wanna take multiple trips. Nobody wants to do that. We're too lazy for that. So we will carry as many bags as possible. So here's a bag for you. You can adjust it any way that you want. Here's another bag for you. Yep, now these are your burdens. These are, these are your own issues. The only the, the things that, you know, you need to focus on and you need to work with your family, your work, you know, things like that. But, but then you wanna help other people as well. So let's give you a few more of those. That's good, yup. I got some more. We got a few more for you, so keep it coming. Yup. Let's do, let's do some more. Yeah, you're gonna last a long time up here, buddy. By the way, you have to hold that, the rest of the message. Uh, let's go some more, and then I need you to catch the eggs. Pretty good job, buddy. Pretty good job. Give it up for Matt right here. You're going to put them all down? Sorry. You did a pretty good job. Pretty good job. <laughs> Thanks for being volunteered. Now, here's the reality. So many times we're trying to carry all of our own stuff. And then we want to help other people, so we just keep picking up. We just keep picking up. And here's the reality. Some of, this, uh, some of us in this room right now, we're already so overwhelmed. Some of us right now because of your own situation. Like, exclude everybody else from your life right now. Your own situation is too overwhelming. You think about your marriage, your kids, your job, your health, whatever it may be, and it's just too much. You're carrying too much right now. Others of us, we're going at a pace that we cannot sustain. Others of us, we're, we're carrying our stuff. Maybe we're carrying a few other people's stuff, and we're going at a pace. Like Matt was able to hold most of it. Drop the eggs. Hold most of it. But then an hour later, I don't know. He's a strong guy, but I don't know. So some of us are going at a pace right now that's not sustainable. And so how do you serve people wisely? Wisely. How do you serve people in a way that you don't burn out, that you're not overloaded, that you're your best self for those that God places in your life? How did Moses serve wisely? Well, he did two things. Number one, he led others into his life. He led others into his life. This is what Jethro is telling him. Hey, you need to choose other people. There's other people in your life right now that want to help. Are you letting others into your life? Say you're overwhelmed right now with a work situation. Have you let your boss in? Have you let your coworkers in? Yeah, Ernest, you don't know my situation. There's no way I can tell my boss about what's going on. There's no way I can allow a coworker in. Maybe, I don't know your situation. But what I do know is the pace is unsustainable. What about with your kids? I was with some pastors this past week and we were just, we were talking about like how everybody goes through struggles. But if you're a parent probably the hardest thing to walk through is the struggles of your own kids. I mean, watching your own kids suffer, watching your own kids walk through stuff, watching them you know, sin, watching them do things that you're like, you're going to regret that, watching them do things that hurt your family is hard. Are you willing to let somebody in? Maybe that somebody is a counselor. Maybe you have a friend in your life. You have a friend in your life that your your kid cares about, that your kid at least knows, and can you go to them? And not just assume they know, but can you go to them and go, hey, will you please invest in my child? Will you please help me carry the load? It takes a village. You can't do it on your own. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're looking at your marriage right now, and, and if you'd be real honest with where you're at, man, it's not in a good place, but no one else knows. Because you feel shame if you were to say what's going on. You feel maybe like somebody's judging you if they knew what was going on. Or you feel less of a human, whatever it may be, less of a believer or whatever. And you feel shame in that. And so no one else is allowed in. You were never created to do life alone. You were built to let others in. None of us were created to do life alone. You were built to let others in. So Moses, he had to let others in to serve wisely. He had to bring other people into his own journey. second thing he did is he spent time alone with God. He spent time alone with God. The very next chapter of this, right after Jeff Rose says, hey, this is what you need to do, and Moses makes some of those changes, the very next chapter is him going up to Mount Sinai to spend time with God. When was the last time you spent time with God? When was the last time you made God a priority in your life that you realized, man, God loves me so much and it doesn't matter where I'm at and, and how much sin I have in my life, how much junk I'm going through or whatever, but God loves me so much and he actually wants to be with me that you made that a priority? Do you spend time with God on a daily basis? Do you spend time with God on a, on a weekly basis? Do you take a Sabbath where it's just like you and him getting, getting alone and just, just kind of working through some junk and, and celebrating and all of those things? Have you gone on a retreat, maybe a men's retreat, maybe a, maybe a women's retreat, or maybe it's your own retreat? When was the last time you just said, man, I'm going to go off by myself to spend time with God? There's a great retreat in, uh, in Sedalia called uh, Sacred Heart, and uh, it's a silent retreat, and so if you're an extrovert like me, it's really hard to go to. Um, I, I was there, last time I was there, a couple months ago, uh, there were some deer there as well, and so I began talking to them, and they were like, shh, the deer shushed me. So it can be really challenging, but I'm telling you, it's so good for your soul. It's so good to be able to just get alone and spend time with God. When was the last time you just got alone with him? You made him a priority. Is Sunday a priority? Is Sunday a priority, like eating is a priority? Like I'm not going to miss a meal, man. I'm not going to miss a Sunday because that's my time to be able to engage with God, to be able to spend time with him, to be able to hear from him in a, in a different way, in a, a clear way or Whatever. When was the last time you spent time with God? See, to serve wisely, we have to let others in. We also have to spend time with God. So Jethro says, hey, you got to give strategically. you got to serve wisely. And the last thing, he says, you got to trust God completely. Trust God completely. Verse 23, if you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. That sounds like a pretty good ending to me. You'll be okay and everybody else will be okay. Everybody else will walk home satisfied, Moses, and you're going to be okay as well. That sounds like a pretty good ending to me. Because says if you do these things, if you put these things into practice, and God so commands, so you have to trust that God is in control. So God, I'm going to do what you call me to do, and then I'm going to leave the rest up to you. And one of the hardest lessons I've had to learn in ministry, honestly, it's probably the hardest lesson I've had to learn in life is this. You ready for it? I'm not Jesus. I know, earth shattering. Some of you are like, wow, how did you learn that all by yourself, Ernest? But let's be real. All of us want to be wanted. All of us at some level want somebody to need something from us. We all want to be needed. We all want somebody to say, man, I can't do this without you. I really need your advice here. I really need your help. It feels good, but I'm not God. It feels good to want to help and to want to serve and and to, to be wanted, to be needed, but I'm not God. So, how do you trust God completely? When I was 15, 16 years old, I met this guy named Jeff. And uh, Jeff and I became uh, instant friends because of a lot of reasons. One, we would like to work out. And he was way better at it and has way bigger muscles than me. But we like to work out. We also liked fast cars. uh, And I drove way faster than him and scared him. So that made me feel good about his muscles. So um, we we just bonded over a lot of things in our lives. But at this time in, in our lives, he was a follower of Jesus and I wasn't. And I was doing a lot of things that they weren't helpful. My gods that I worshipped were alcohol and drugs and, and women. And so when we hung out, I, that's, what I, that's what I engaged in. That was the activity I engaged in. And he would, he would say things like, Ernest, that's probably not helpful. Or Ernest, you might regret that later. Or, hey, man, can you not go drive now? Or can you please like, just think about this a little? Maybe, maybe you should stop. Or just not as much. And I didn't listen to him. I didn't really care to hear what he had to say, if it meant changing some of the things I was doing, and eventually Jeff stopped showing up, and I didn't really recognize it at first. I didn't really care. I was kind of engaged in my own thing and doing my own stuff, but Jeff just stopped hanging out. I'd call him up. He was too busy, or he had other things going on, and a few months after that point, probably about six months later, I finally gave my life to Christ. And a few months after I gave my life to Christ, I hear this knock on my door. So I go to the door and open it up, and there's Jeff standing there. I was like, bro, what are you doing here? His first words were to me were, Ernest, I heard that you had changed. I thought, yeah, but what are you doing here? Like, I haven't seen you in forever. He said, man, I tried to help, but you weren't willing to listen. You weren't in a place where you were willing to receive it, and you were beginning to impact me, and I had to step away. What a mature decision for a 16 year old. And I remember that to this day. I remember thinking, like, and I wasn't mad. Like, you would think, you'd be like, oh man, I can't believe you abandoned me. I wasn't anything like that. I was like, oh, that was really smart. Because I wasn't willing to change and I wasn't willing to take your help. You did the right thing. What was he doing? He was simply trusting God for my life. He prayed for me. He would still invite me to church and things like that, but until I changed, he didn't want to re-engage in an everyday friendship. I mean, he kind of took the principles that we talked about last week with controlling people, the, the principle of putting up boundaries, and he put those up. And it was the exact right thing for him to do for himself and ultimately for our friendship. Now we're friends to this day. We're in each other's weddings. All of that, because he made the hard decision to walk away. He made the hard decision to trust God completely. So if you have needy people in your life, how do you respond? How do you love them and engage them well? well if you're going to give, give strategically. Ask, what do they genuinely need? When you serve, serve wisely. Let others in, go to God, make sure you spending time with him so he's filling you up so that you can then let out and then trust God completely with whatever the outcome is going to be. Now let's talk about the other side. What if we are the needy people? Some of us have been sitting here listening, going, I'm actually the needy one. I'm the one that's constantly needing something from somebody. And if that's you, if you could do that hard look at your life and admit that I would say your first step is to come to Christ. Your first step is to turn to the one who will supply everything you need. You see, we go to the world for all these things, thinking, man, I've got like this, this void of some, so I, I need something. So we think if I had more money or if I had more relationships or if I had this or if I had a kid, if I, whatever it may be, and we can do testimony after testimony up here of people going, you know what? I had all the money, it didn't work. You know what? I had the wife and the kids and all of that, and I was thinking that they would be able to provide what I needed, but they couldn't. You know what? I had the job and the status and the power, and all, but it still didn't give me what I, I had. All the, all the things, all the toys, the house, everything, and it still didn't give me what I needed. It's because the way that God wired you and created you, he created you, you in such a way that the only way you would get your needs met would be through a relationship with him. What does that mean? It means us recognizing that we're all sinners and our sin separates us from God. So if you feel void in your relationship with God, it's because of sin and we all have it. Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's not a person in this room or watching a line that would be like, I'm not sinner, we all are. The difference is what do you do with it? If you haven't come to Christ, Or if you're like, man, I did a while ago, but I've been living my own life, doing my own thing. God's saying, why don't you come home today? Why don't you come home today? We had four individuals in service that made that decision last last service. I believe we've got some people in here today that would say, you know what, that's kind of where I'm at. I've been needy and I've been looking for it in all these other areas. But I recognize I just need to come home. I need to accept Christ or recommit my life to Christ. So let's do this. Why don't you just bow your heads, close your eyes with me. And Father, I just ask right now that you would meet us where we are in this moment. God, you know who in this place, if we're to be real honest with ourselves, we'd say, man, I I am. I feel feel the separation between me and God. Maybe I've never felt like I've had a right relationship with him, or maybe I have before, and Man, just because of life and because of trials and because of my sin and because just the junk I've been walking through, Ernest, I feel so separated from him. That's you, I want you to know that God sees you, he loves you, and he says today, come home. What does that mean? It means recognizing that we are sinners, it separates us from God, but God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, That no one in this room is too far from him that it just simply takes us turning around and saying, I want to come home. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, that's me. Ernest, I recognize that's where I'm at right now. And today I want to, I want to make that decision. I, I may not have all the answers. I've probably still got some doubts and some fears and all of that. But today I want to make the decision to come home. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for these individuals. God, thank you that you know them and you see them, you know their name, you know their story, and you love them. God, I thank you for your love in our lives. And I pray that as we recognize our sin, as we acknowledge that sin, confess that to you, thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you sent your son to die for us, and we can be saved. Father, for all of us, I pray you would tell us what we're to do next with this conversation. How we're to love others who are needy. God, what we're to do to give to them, to serve them, and ultimately to trust you with their lives and with our own, in Jesus' name.